praise his name for that. So good, good, good. So I've titled the message today, Man's Logic Versus Jesus's Ability. Man's Logic Versus Jesus' Ability. Um, Speaking of doing spiritual battle, which is what you were just doing, I don't know if you know that or not, but in going to the Lord in prayer, you were engaging the enemy of our warfare. That's what prayer does. We communicate with our Heavenly Father, but the enemy hates it. He does not want you to have a communication and certainly no relationship with the Lord. Um, The problem is with spiritual battle is that one of our problems in our humanness is that as Christians, we try to fight our battles on our own. Uh, We try to do everything we know to do in our own humanness. And I'm thinking logically, you know, um, we try to use our human reasoning um, and, and that's good. I mean, God has given us a brain and we should use human reasoning and logic. But often we forget, and Satan wants this, we forget in our humanness that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. If we're truly believers, then God has promised to us that we have his spirit in us and we have all the power that we need to live this life. But we fight that battle, don't we? Between our human reasoning and our logic and the power of God at work in us. And sometimes those disconnect. Uh, Often they disconnect. And we just need to be reminded of, of how God wants those two to work together, himself and our needs. And never dismiss or divorce what God can do in us if we're willing, and just simply listening to him. And so today we're going to see an example of how the disciples used human logic and really limited themselves in the power of what God wanted to do through them. He did accomplish his purpose because God is always going to accomplish his purpose. But too often, even through pictures like what the disciples were, uh, they were caught up in their human logic and missed or potentially missed the things that God wanted to do. And so let's start in uh, Matthew 14, beginning in verse 13. I want you to stand. We're going to read through verse 21. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Many of you have studied this before. If not, you've heard about the feeding of the 5,000. But we're going to look at it from a little bit different perspective this morning, all certainly focused on who Jesus is and his power. That's the key. But let's look at it from how a human being would often look at this. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. And the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fishes, two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. All right, you may be seated. If you've ever gotten um, bad news, 
which all of us have at times, you know how shocking it can be, of course, depending on the situation. Uh, We all get news at some point, and we would refer to it as being bad, but depending on how severe that news is or how challenging that news is depends on the shock factor of it all. Oftentimes that factor is so heavy that it almost literally takes your breath away. Um, We hear of these kinds of things all the time. If you were following the news at all, you heard of another sniper shooting uh, this last week uh, on Monday in a place called Highland Park, Illinois. I know uh, Neil and Theo will certainly know of that place. Um, may not mean anything to you other than what you heard in the news. What makes it significant to myself and Debbie is that that's where our son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren were for several years, right in Highland Park. In fact, we had been on that street many times where that that uh, shooting occurred. And, and as much as the family was... The families this last week were there just celebrating and doing what you and I would normally do. Uh, Somebody demonically had a different plan, and Satan was certainly working behind that. But, you know, when I heard that, I thought, and Debbie and I have talked several times about, oh, my goodness, you know, we we could have been there. We could have easily been there and been a part of that. And so there was that sense of a shock factor and that uh, disbelief, really, that comes with all of that. And when those tragic things happen, it it not only leaves you in a state of shock, uh, that's that wondering how I process all of this and and put it together, but it also eventually gives way to some grief and some sadness. And certainly, if you're like me, you you feel that as you see families go through such horrific tragedies that they do over something so foolish as this. that sadness I'm talking about, though, or that shock, that feeling of overwhelmedness, being overwhelmed, uh, kind of sets you back a little bit to the point where you just don't know what to say. You're, you're at a point where you just sometimes feel like you just want to be alone and dismiss everything that's going on around you and in the world. Well, I'm saying all that because it kind of builds the stage for us to understand a little bit about where Jesus was at this particular point. Now, I'll clarify some of that in just a second. But look with me again at verse 3. We're told here, as Jesus hears of John's death, it really affected him. Verse 3 says, he withdrew to a boat by himself to a secluded place. Now, I want to be quick to say that the initial thought would be that Jesus must have been really overwhelmed by grief. Uh, I think certainly Jesus was feeling grief without question. Uh, But let's be careful that we don't assume somehow that Jesus was overcome by anxiety or that fear was gripping his heart because that certainly would not be the case. I mean, if John the Baptist, uh, as a human being alone, was able to face Herod, as we talked about last week, in the way that he did with such gut and such... Uh, power and determination, uh, don't think for a second that the Lord Jesus was afraid. Okay? He was not afraid of Herod. Uh, Jesus was working his plan as the Father was giving it to him. But what we do see here is that there was a sense of Jesus in his humanness. And we've talked about this many times before, that he was fully human, 100%, but also 100% God. And so in that human side of him, I think Jesus felt the pain of losing John. And we're getting that little bit of a picture here. And so he did what was normal for him and for anybody like ourselves is that he went to his father. 
I think that's really what the Lord was showing us here, is that in his time of need, specifically when it was a really tragic situation, he did what, again, you and I should normally do as believers, not turn to the world immediately, but we should turn to our Heavenly Father. And that's a beautiful picture here. And so there wasn't a grief in that sense, so let's make sure we don't see it that way. Uh, What Jesus knew is that he was going to spend eternity with John. And so there was joy in his heart, you can imagine. But also, I think this shows us, again, the life of Jesus and and how he had such great compassion. But to the disciples now, Jesus was going to use this as a teaching experience, but also a way to show once again who he is. Now, if you follow the progression of what Matthew is giving to us, you see him very clearly pointing to us, this is the Lord. He gives illustrations. Jesus himself gives illustrations throughout the book leading up to all of this, of himself being the Lord. Now he's going to give examples even to the disciples of himself being the Lord. And so he's covering the full spectrum so that nobody will have any questions. And we're told here in Matthew that the solitude's not going to last long because people were hearing about him and they're not going to leave him alone. And so as he hears about the fact that people are looking for him and the people do come looking for him, in verse 13 we see this again, Uh, large crowds now have grown immensely, leading us really to the first point about how difficult logic in human thinking is or how human logic is different from Jesus' ability to do what he does and who he is. So I've got a couple points here that I want to share with us this morning about the differences between the two, two being the human logic and how Jesus operates. Number one, Human logic says when times get tough, just quit. But Jesus never quit because helping people was his priority. Okay? So Jesus is feeling the grief, potentially. Jesus is going to his father. He's reserved himself to a place of solitude. But he doesn't stay there because he came to help people. Let's go to verse 14 just real quickly. When he came ashore, or when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, let's be us there for just a moment. If that's you and me on the the beach, I think, well, maybe we should put it this way. If you and I were Jesus at this point, I think we would probably say, I'm not going back to the beach. This is too overwhelming. It's too much for me to handle. I'm just going to go the other direction. And people often take that path. That's what Satan wants for us to do. His whole goal is to separate you and me from God. He wants us to have nothing to do with God if he can pull that off. He doesn't want us to immediately think about our need for God in our deepest times and the situations that we really struggle with. And so I can only imagine if you or I were in Jesus' situation, we would have stayed in solitude. Uh, Some of you would probably say that this morning. I'm in a situation of life or multiple situations of life where, you know, it's just better for me to just distance myself from everything and everybody and life is just a lot more peaceful that way. Well, that certainly is true in a lot of ways. But remember what I said a second ago is that that's exactly what Satan wants. I have no doubt that part of Satan's thinking was when he prompted Herod and Herodias to take off the head of John the Baptist that he was trying desperately to get to Jesus as well. 
You can imagine in a human sense what kind of fear factor that would promote in people. That was the Roman way. You know, you rule by fear and domination. Now, they were peaceful people, the Romans for the most part. won't get into all that. But authority wants to suppress often through fear, and that's what we see here. The problem is when people quit serving God, they miss so much. And I don't know if you've experienced that or not, but as God's child, as a believer of his, when you pull back and you stop doing what God inherently and naturally wants from you as one of his children, you really do miss a lot. And I'm talking about just even the simplest of things. Just the other day I was over at Wawa and uh, I was actually waiting for my wife and the grandchildren to show up and we were going to get the kids a little snack and things. And I was standing out in front of the building waiting on them. If you've been there, you know what it looks like. And um, I noticed off to my side that there was a, an older gentleman there working on his car. He had the hood up and he had the uh, radiator cap off. And I'm just kind of watching this from a distance. And he evidently had some some neurological issues going on because he was shaking pretty badly and and trying to pour some stuff into the to the bottle there. And I, and I just felt like, you know, I need to go see what's going on. And, and so I went and tried to talk to him. And he was nice, but I had a really tough time understanding him. It's just the way his language was coming out. He wasn't, in fact, like you probably would be thinking, I, I thought maybe he was, you know, intoxicated or, or something like that. But he was not as I began to just talk with him a little bit more. But I had a really tough time hearing him. Long story short, he needed some help getting back to uh, north here into Greene County and was out of gas, and he was trying to make sure his car would make it. His tires were low and all that kind of stuff. And I said, okay, we'll go over to the pump, and I'll, I'll help you out. I'll get you some gas. And so he did. He made it there fun. And uh, as I'm pumping the gas for him, he looks at me, and he says, so what church do you go to? And I thought, boy, that's a really interesting statement, question. Why would you even ask me that? Well, that was the natural default from him or from anybody. Right? Why are you helping me? What are you doing? Well, you know, as Christians, that's just what we do. That's what our mindset should be, is to look for ways to help people. And I'm simply just using that illustration to point back to what Jesus was doing. Jesus always had the mind of helping others. Yes, he was himself human in that sense, but he was going through, and he was going through challenges of his own, but he didn't forget why he was here. He came to have compassion for you and me. And in turn, we are to have compassion for others, even if it means we are put in difficult places ourselves. You have to understand, beloved, that God saved you not to just immediately take you to heaven. He saved you and left you here because he wants us to be ministers of his gospel. But the only way we're going to be ministers of his gospel is if we engage in interacting with other people, right? So if you wonder why God doesn't just take you home, there's a reason. He left you here so that other people would have and know the same joy that you have. And we're to look for those opportunities. And so in Jesus' case, people were coming to him. People may not come to you and me. That's why we are to go to them. And so in our day-to-day life, we are to be, make sure that we're paying attention to the things that are going around us. Now, Satan's logic will say to us, and in our human logic, we'll hear him saying, not even attributing it to him, is that, you know, you're so busy. I mean, you just got a lot to do. You've got a full list to take care of. Uh, you don't really know anything about that person. And these are all the things that I could have been saying in my mind. And again, I'm not the model here. I wrestle with this as much as you do. That's why I can talk about this. 
But these are the things that come up. What if that person tries to hurt me? What if I do something nice and they want to do something evil? Well, that all is possible. And it's not that we shouldn't be wise. God has given to us the ability to be wise, but often we make the situation about us instead of allowing God to work through us. You see, the reality is, is that if we're born again, we're safe for eternity, aren't we? I don't want to die a tragic death any more than anybody does. But the reality is we have a home in heaven. God has given to us the gift of eternity. And so we're not to be fearful or hesitant in this life. We're to follow the example that the Lord left for us in the way that he did, in the way he lived his, his life. So as followers of Christ, we're to model him. Look at um, Luke chapter 10, verse 27 for a second. Here's Jesus reiterating the truth of God's word from the Old Testament. And we've talked about this many times before as well. Look, look how quickly and simply the Lord puts this together, summarizing the entire scriptures. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And we could joke right here for a minute and say, I do. I really do love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. It's just people I don't want to put up with. Right? I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have our own little private life with the Lord himself and leave everybody out of it, at least the people that irritate us, right? Or the people who are problems. Well, the Lord didn't leave it there, though, because he knows our thinking. So he adds this, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. You do the business with God, but there is a reason why God has the neighbors around you, whether they're work neighbors or physical neighbors in your actual community. It's not an accident. God is summarizing scripture for you. I want you to, with your love for me, serve your neighbors. However, he gives you the opportunity to do that. It can be physical. If there's some physical need that needs to be provided there, it can be an emotional support, if that's what's necessary. It can be certainly something spiritual, which is what people really, really need. And God will bring people into our lives. We don't really have to ask him to do that. If we're willing to be what he wants us to be, he will bring people to us. We just got to be listening and, and looking. For example, some of you know this already, but last week, or maybe it's two weeks ago now, I think it's two weeks ago, um, just as we were starting the service, no, it was just this last week, um, just as we were starting the service, right at 1030, there was a lady who walked in the back and she had a young girl with her. Did anybody see who I'm talking about? Okay, nobody saw that. A couple of you did? Okay. So um, tried to communicate with her. Turns out she was Arabic. Um, and I only know that because, thankfully, Dave Schaefer is smart enough to know how to use the Google Translator on his phone. And uh, so he went over and talked to her for just a moment through the translator. Turns out she was just, all she could get out really, though, was in the brokenness of all of that was we just want to talk to uh, some official here. So he was able to say to her through translation, okay, come back at 1 o'clock. So about 1 o'clock, I came back here, and nobody's here. Look on the playground in the back, and there's this lady, her young girl, a daughter we found out, <clears throat> a husband, two very severely handicapped children that are well into their teenage years, um, and two later that we learned about uh, that are fine children. So this week, we were able to get in touch with them uh, through... Um, 
ISI ministry. Uh, actually, I started, I, when we were back here, I was on my phone, and I'm doing the Google Translate thing. I'm speaking in English, and it's out loud saying it in, in Arabic. And then she would speak, and then back to me, and Neil and Thea saw us back there, and we were trying to make some kind of communication and figure out what's going on, and, and it was kind of a disaster. Uh, thankfully, this little girl was there, and she couldn't speak any English either, but she at least knew how to use the phones, and that was helpful. <laughs> you know, I, I jokingly said into the translator to the mom, I said, aren't we thankful for young people who can do this? And she kind of laughed, and we made a little bit of a connection there. So long story short, what we've learned is after talking to our friend Ayman who speaks Arabic and then uh, God put us in touch with a missionary that some of you know uh, who was in um, overseas uh, working as in uh, Arabic uh, for lots of years and are now here in Charlottesville. And so we were able to go see them this week. They're staying right back here at the extended stay. And um, It's just been amazing how God has put them in our lives. I don't know why. There are many people that are in need, but somehow God just brings people when they have certain needs. So others of you have started getting involved, and we'll let more information out as we know more about them. But just imagine you being in America, not knowing how to speak English. You have no job. You have health issues. You have children who have health issues. You have no way to get around, no way to communicate, and you're plopped here. Okay, there's a sense of goodness about it, and there's a lot of story behind all of that. But imagine if you're picked up and you're plopped over in another country and you're in that situation. That would be extremely challenging, wouldn't it? Well, all I'm simply saying is, is that we don't have to go looking for the world God will bring people to us. What he wants from us is to be compassionate and just simply ask the questions. What can we do to help? That was Jesus. Jesus did what people needed simply because he made himself available. As I was thinking about this, and we'll go on to the next point here in just a second, I just want to read this to you. Uh, Growing up in the church that I did, there was a song in the little hymnal that we sang often, and it was just titled, Others. Some of you may remember that. It says, Lord, help me to live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts be to rise again except to live for others. So when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven's begun, I'll praise you for the crown I've won, but praise you more for others. It's interesting, isn't it? The very creatures that you and I struggle with the most, which are those people sitting right beside you, and people in humanity, are the very ones that God has given to each of us to bless and to honor and to model who Christ is. And so that's what we see in this first part. Jesus has just had a very difficult time as he hears the news of John. And in his humanness, he's showing us what he showed us last week, and that is he cares for us and he can identify with us. So let's go on to the next thing. The problem number two with man's logic is, though, it often operates without faith in Jesus' ability to do what only he can do. Let me read that again. Man's logic often operates without faith in what Jesus and Jesus alone can do. Look at verse 15. 
When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, you can imagine if you're the disciples that this would have been an extremely exhausting day. First of all, I can't imagine living in that time period anyway. I'm thankful for the time period that we live in. But if you just try to put yourself there, we're told by Matthew that there were at least 5,000 men. That's a big crowd. And notice Matthew says men in particular, and that's because he adds the women and children, meaning that some have estimated based on the sizes of families then, this could have been a crowd as large as 25,000 people. That is a monstrous crowd. And so human logic then would say, as we're told, evening was come, which would be somewhere between 3 and 9 p.m. There's a division of the afternoon-evening periods there where the disciples are just, look, send them away. They need food. That's logical, right? Every human being needs food. But you can also hear the disciples saying, and so do we. We need some refreshment here. You know, anybody experienced hangriness? Amen. I know that to be true about myself. I can tell when I need some nourishment. My attitude gets bad. And I can only imagine that the disciples and all we know about them uh, probably were struggling at this particular point in the day, dealing with a crowd like that. Now, I don't think they're trying to get rid of the people. I don't think that's what they were really doing. But just speaking logically... They were tired. The people were tired. They had great needs, the people that is. They had tremendous needs. And the disciples knew that there was not enough food for them. I mean, they didn't have, we don't have the benefit of that conversation where they went and looked in their food bags. But evidently from what they're telling us here through Jesus is, or to Jesus is that there wasn't enough. But that begins the problem with human logic when it comes to the Lord Jesus. The problem with human logic is it always reacts by doing what appears to be obvious. I want you to hear that. Our human logic always reacts to what appears to be obvious. Obvious to you and me. But that doesn't always work with God. Because, praise His name, God is able to work outside of our human logic. And often does work outside of our human logic. We just often miss what he's doing, unfortunately. And we have a book full of those examples right here, the Bible, of situations and times in people's lives where God did amazing things that defy human logic. Sadly for us, we usually use logical means to do whatever we do to get our way through it, saying something like, well, that's only going to work if, or I can't imagine if you don't do this or that. You know, we put the A's and the A's and the B's and the B's and we count it all up and uh, we just make sense out of it from our own perspective. And that's not wrong. God built us that way. That's how we operate in this life. But too often our sinfulness causes us to operate that way even when God is doing something. And I think you see that in this particular sense. So ask yourself... First off, before we go any further, how often do I function in this life purely by logic? I mean, just logic alone. And then ask, how many decisions do I make just based off of logic? And then ask yourself, do I really believe Jesus can work outside my logic? That's a tough one, isn't it? 
Do I really believe Jesus can work outside of my logic? Now, I understand. We all will we'll say, of course I believe that. I mean, who as a Christian is going to admit that they would defy what the Lord can do? None of us are going to be like that, at least outwardly. But Jesus knows our hearts. And he knows that we often operate that way. In fact, if you remember, it was the logical minds of Jesus' own family back in Nazareth, just at the end of chapter 13, that said, there is no way this could be the Messiah, could it? You see what was at work there? It was the logical minds of his own family members and the people that knew him growing up, basically saying this is impossible, logically speaking. But as much as logic can and does often get in the way of what we can do in our lives, it's just as important to understand that faith alone is not just what God wants. In other words, there has to be the blending of the two. So we're not saying cast away logic. Jesus is not saying that. As I said earlier, God gave us the ability to be logical. And so we we need to operate that way in many cases. But there are times where God wants us to step outside of what makes sense to us logically and trust him. Trust him for what we can't see. And we have a great illustration of this right here in this text, which leads us to the final point. Human logic says, get somebody else to do it, but Jesus wants us involved in his work. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to them in response to their query of sending them away, they don't need to go away. You give them something deep. Now, if you're standing there tired in the late of the evening dealing with perhaps 25,000 people, most of which would have been screaming little children, perhaps, I don't know, I'm making up something here, but you, you picture that scene in your mind, that's a ridiculous statement, right? Jesus has just said something totally ridiculous. That's just not going to happen. They knew that they couldn't feed everybody. But that didn't mean they couldn't be involved. That didn't mean that they couldn't stand alongside the Lord as he did it. And the Lord already knew all of this, right? And yeah, this was a test. It was a test for the disciples. He was proving to even them, his innermost circle, that he really is God. And I think at times we need the same thing because most people like the disciples, let their logic get in the way. Notice verse 17. He says, They said to him, All we have here are five loaves of bread and two little fish. Now, I don't know whether they're the big monster fish or fish. We're just, he just says, We have two fish here. They're looking at this monstrous crowd and they're saying, This isn't going to work. There's nothing about this that's going to work. And just in case you think you wouldn't have reacted in the same way as the disciples, put yourself there again for a minute. You see the mammoth crowd who is at this point getting hungry. You're tired. You're needing something to eat. You're needing some rest. And you just want the day to be over. You ever been there? The days that we've had ministry times here at the church and we've spent all day preparing and doing things, Um, those of you who've been to youth camp and on missions trips understand that well. You just can't wait for the day to be over just so you can go home and get some rest. But still the Lord to the disciples gives this instruction. But I bet your first reaction would be like theirs. 
It's impossible. That would be the logical point, the logical statement, right? In that situation, it just can't be done. And that is true when logic is the only thing that's at work. But that becomes the point. Now, I want to share with you something, and I hope this won't hurt your feelings, but I need to go into this because i got to make this personal for us as a church. You remember when we were talking about the potential move to the building? Logic took over there, and faith was not operating. Let me give you some instances. If you were here for that meeting, Dr. Moore came, and she's the one who was the head of the school, and she poured her heart out to us about the needs of the school and how God had done so much. And, and, and yes, she admitted that we were, you know, always, or she, we, I'm saying she was always in, in, in the red uh, financially, uh, but God had done amazing things. And she just told us several stories about how God had done an incredible work. And your response, not totally, but generally as a church, was that school should be closed. I mean, I even had somebody say to me, that's a big, when she got to that point, that was a big red flag for me. That just was not going to work for me. It's logically just will not work. But that's the point. You know, there's, a, there's a clear picture of how even for us as a church, there are times where God brings things to us to test us, to see how we're going to respond. Are we going to be just like we are with everything else and just look at the logical facts, which is not wrong? Are we going to make our decisions based off of just what appears to us to be something that will or won't work from a logical perspective, or are we going to see if God is in this? Some of the statements that I heard were, the building is just not going to be a good place to move to, it's loud, Uh, It's not going to do as a school. Uh, We like this building better. There's more grass to cut. Uh, There's not as many families around the building. And all of that's true. And I want you to understand, I'm not saying let's resurrect the building, the whole concept of that, the whole idea of moving there. What I am saying is that there are times as a family of believers that God will present things to you and me as a church asking us some questions. That's what he was doing with the disciples. Jesus knew full well what he was going to do and what he was capable of doing. But he wanted the disciples to know that he could do it. They had to believe. And the only way for them to believe was to test them so that they would come to the place of asking the right kind of questions. For us, and yes, I'm, I'm fussing about this a little bit as your pastor because I think we blew it. I think the Lord put a situation on us and gave us the opportunity to make a decision by faith, but that was not what kept coming back. It was logic. It has its place, but it's not always going to work. Now, you can fuss at me later if you want about that. I just don't want you to miss the point. It's not wrong to be logical, so don't hear that. Most of the time, God wants us to follow logic, and that's a good thing. He again did give us a brain. But this in particular, going back to the text now, was a rare situation for the disciples. So Jesus' point was, don't forget that I can do anything. I can do anything. And you need to let that resound in your own minds. 
The God that we are serving this morning and the reason you're here worshiping him is because you believe deep down in your heart, at least the Spirit has convicted you to know that there's something unique about this God. And this God is not like anybody else's God. He has the ability to do beyond anything or anyone else could ever imagine. And that's accurate because he is the only God there is. And that's why you're here. You're here not necessarily by your own volition. Yes, you did drive yourself here or you rode with somebody, but the Spirit of God has been at work in the background bringing you here or pricking your heart to help you to see him at work in your life. So he wants the two to work together. And so the point is, if we approach, though, life always from the position of logic, we're going to miss a lot of the things that God wants to do with us. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that comes along is going to be just throw logic to the wind and we're just going to do things that seem to be foolish. So I hope you understand I'm beating this down because I want us to to really get this. But there will be times where God will do things when we follow him by faith or he's going to back up. We've already studied this partly back in chapter 13. The reason he left Nazareth and didn't do many miracles there was for what reason? Do you remember in verse 58? Look back at it if you need to. He didn't do many miracles there because of what? Their unbelief. Not because he couldn't do it. But he put a responsibility on them and they didn't reciprocate. And so he says, okay. I won't re-preach all of that because you can go back and listen to that message. But this was the disciples' problem. In this situation, logically, they had just watched Jesus not do miracles there. They heard him say, this is why I won't do miracles. I'm talking about back in Nazareth. And now Jesus is giving them an opportunity. Okay, you say that you believe this, but let's see if you really do. And so he asked them to do the impossible, knowing that he was going to step up to the plate. And that's what happens. In fact, this same kind of scenario of belief, non-belief has happened throughout the pages of Scripture. Let me take you to one more, and I promise you we'll be done here in just a minute. You remember back in the Old Testament when God was promising Moses and the children of Israel the promised land? Of course you do. Well, when they first got there to cross over the river, God said to Moses, I want you to send 12 spies into the land. And they did. Moses did. 12 spies went in. They came back with a report. But only two of them came back with a positive report. That was Joshua and Caleb. Let's look at the text. Here's what the people said. This is in Numbers 13, verses 27 through 28, and then 30 through 33. We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and and this is its fruit. In fact, they brought back this big bundle of of grapes, if you remember. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Okay, so it's like, whoa, it's a nice place. But logic was beginning to build. Skip down to verse 30. Then Caleb, one of the two that said, yes, this is good, quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also were the, the, they saw 
the Nephilim. Those were the sons of Anak. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were, as so we were in their sight. Jumping down to chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. I just want you to hear all of this because it really helps us with some clarity. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Now listen to what's happening. You brought us out to this place, and now they're starting to logically think, you know, it was better back in Egypt. Gong, 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 wrong answer. Would it be that we would die in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Those were the only two spies that that gave affirmation of it. Tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel saying, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Here it is. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Do you hear that faith? Totally stepping outside of what logically made sense simply because they believe the Lord. Verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. It's a good message. But look at verse 10. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the sons of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. Folks, that's a sad commentary on the nation of Israel at that point, wasn't it? And for 40 years, that was one day for every, one year for every day that the 12 spies were in the land. For 40 years, God withheld them from going into the promised land simply because their logic overtook them and they were not operating out of faith. And it really upset the Lord. I pray that we not ever get like that. That when the Lord presents something to us, our first response is always, yes, Lord. Now, we may not have a clue how to accomplish it. The disciples didn't have a clue how to accomplish their request from the Lord either. But what the Lord was teaching them is what we need to know is that it doesn't matter what the Lord asks us to do. Our first response is to always be, yes, 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 show me how to accomplish this, Lord. And we're all dynamic in that way. In other words, we're all different in what God is doing with us. Each of us have our own walks in life and our own places in life. What's up to us, though, is are we going to determine the Lord from the Lord to walk by our own human logic and reasoning alone, or are we going to allow God to merge that logic with believing and trusting in Him in faith? 
And that's when we'll see great and mighty things from the Lord. Now, with all that said, let's go back and finish this in verse 18 to our text. So Jesus says, bring them here to me. That's talking about the bread and the fish. He ordered the people to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves, the two fish, looking up toward heaven. He blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. Now, folks, I don't know how the Lord did that. I don't know what that scene looked like. All we have is what the Lord tells us here, that he worked a miracle. And he had the disciples to be a part of it. What we do know is that Jesus acknowledges his father. He blesses the food and he gets the disciples involved. You see, the reality is Jesus didn't need the disciples, did he? I mean, couldn't he have accomplished this without the disciples at all? He could have just had the food appear on the people's napkins or plates right in front of them. 25,000 people could just boom right there. But God doesn't operate that way. He typically operates with you and me. He uses us as the vehicles, the messengers, the go-betweens. That's why we're here, you see? I'm coming back to the same point. You're here for a reason, here on earth as a believer. God is using you and wants to use you for his glory in your area of life. That's why you're there. So don't spurn where you are or what God's doing. Understand that God in his divine wisdom is calling on you to be his light in the moment that you're in for as long as he has you there, whatever that may look like. You could have come here this morning or actually you could have stayed at home and God could have planted this message that I'm delivering right in your mind. You could have been laying in bed in your soft, nice, warm, cozy, comfortable bed in your jammies and just all of a sudden go, wow, the message of Bruce just came to my head. This is awesome. But God doesn't work that way. God wants you to come to be a part of the church, to be a part of the fellowship, to be with each other, to pray with one another, to encourage one another, because we're all living this life together, right? Okay, so you get the play, you get the point. Logic has its place, but faith is the most important part. The truth is, beloved, Jesus can do anything, right? Do you believe that? Let me ask it again. Do you believe that Jesus can do anything? And all he asks for us to do is to trust him. So all you and I need to do is decide whether we're going to live by faith and believe what you just said to be true or the opposite is to just continue to live either totally by logic or partly one foot in, one foot out. And I don't think you want to live that way. So let's practice our faith right now. Shall we? Go fill up 12 baskets full of food. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Let me ask you this question. What areas or even just one area of your life right now seems absolutely, totally impossible to take care of by you or in your human logic? What area in your life, just pick one, everybody's different, that you're looking at, could be big or small, 
Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody else you're thinking about that has one area that just seems absolutely, totally impossible. I don't know what God will do with that. But the question is, what are you willing to believe about that? Is God able? Can he do it? Now, God may choose in his divine sovereignty to create something that you never suspected. He's really good about that, isn't he? In other words, one of my favorite verses is man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. We often have our logical plan. The disciples said, this is not going to work, Lord. We only have five, two. There's no way. Okay, let me just do it in my way. So whatever your need is, before we take our communion, let's just pray and ask God individually, privately, quietly, just you and the Lord, Say, Lord, to me, this is impossible. But with you, I trust you to do what you want to do. Can we just go to him now in prayer and just have a time like that? Just between you and the Lord, just for a moment. Father, so often, admittedly, in our humanness, we look at our circumstances and we just say, that's impossible. Nobody can fix that. But Lord, we're blessed. And we're so far honored beyond anything we can really humanly understand to know that you are capable of whatever that we're not capable of. And Lord, I'm not talking about keeping us alive on earth forever and ever and ever. You've already told us there's going to come a day of death for all of us. I'm not talking about that. You can extend life. And maybe that's somebody right now. Maybe there's somebody who is looking at death right in the face. They know it. They've been told it. The doctors have affirmed it. But maybe through their faith, you will extend those days. Lord, maybe there's somebody here who's looking at a financial hurdle that they just say it's just going to be impossible. Maybe there's a relationship that's just really broken. Maybe there's something that tangibly needs to be done at work or some project or something that just is like a mountain. Father, would you give your people faith to believe that you are capable of helping them navigate whatever's coming, whatever they're in the midst of? Would you give them the, the hope and the confidence that as we've studied your word this morning, that whatever they are facing, whether they reveal it to anyone else or not, that you know about it and that you're capable of helping them through it. You're capable of giving the money. You're capable of providing the energy, the resources, the necessary emotional stamina, whatever may be. Lord, we know and acknowledge that you are capable. And so I pray that you would fill each of us with the faith to trust you. Not so much for what we want, but for what your will is in the moment.
and in the situation. Lord, make us people that live for you, not through purely human logic, but that our logic would be moved and orchestrated by you. And we would be willing to step out of the way and give you the opportunity to work in our lives in ways that we just often don't think are possible. So thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for every soul that's here and every soul that's listening online. And thank you for the joy of knowing you. Lord, may you do your work in our hearts. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as Missy is here now, and um, she's going to play a song for us. If we could have the music on back here. Uh, I think Missy needs her piano on. So um, we're going to do like we've been doing. You see the elements here. If you want to just get up and we'll file around and do the circle thing um, to pick up either the cup and the bread, if you so choose, or you can pick up the individual pieces as Biagio and Jeff will help you out. Okay. So just get up and come up. Uh, This is a time of self-examination of the heart. As you well remember and know, um, for those who are with us often, this is a time of, of just really doing business with the Lord. Personally, for some, this could be a moment in where your life is drastically changed. Where you say, Lord, I need you to do this, 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 and I'm surrendering my heart to you. For some, it could be a matter of salvation. We're saying, Lord, I'm trusting you as my Savior. And I want to identify myself with you through taking part of communion. Communion doesn't save, doesn't give us the eternal hope in heaven, but it is an identification in our hearts with what Christ did for us on the cross and in his resurrection. back to your seat. So I've said many times before, this is a very holy time, a very, very sobering reminder of the work of Christ for us. And Paul was kind of fussing at the church, not kind of, but was fussing at the church in Corinth because they had kind of made light of this. They become kind of a free-for-all, just a formality. And we never want to do that. He said, wait for each other. This is a a time of unity and oneness. And so just remembering those words, as we often do each, each time, Jesus said, as he broke the bread in front of the disciples, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So take part in that cracker, if you will. Just remembering the sacrifice of the Lord physically on the cross for you. Again, we don't, Ascribe to the thought that this is the literal body of Christ, but it's a symbolic reminder of his death for us. 
in the same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me the juice is just a reminder of the blood that was shed for us so take part in that if you will What you've done, beloved, is you are publicly identifying yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. This doesn't save you for eternity. This is just an outward sign after you've been saved of your identification with his work for you on the cross and the proclamation of the gospel. Paul would say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's no such thing as a private, quiet, non disclosed Christian. We are to be open with our faith and to follow the Lord in every way, even if the world doesn't agree or see the same as we do. We're to answer to the Lord himself. So Father, we thank you for this morning again. and We honor you and we praise you and we lift up our hearts to you. We ask your protection over us physically as we go into the week. We ask for your guidance mentally and emotionally. Lord, we ask that you would help us to love one another, that you'd help us to love those around us, that you'd help us to be an example of what it really means to live by faith. Thank you for the teachings that you've given us in your word. Thank you for the example of what you showed the disciples this morning particularly. Lord, may you seal it in our hearts and remember it this week as you give us opportunities to serve others. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Lord's blessings to you all. Thank you for coming. And uh, we trust that you have a wonderful week.